0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're gonna get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Is Amazon founder Jeff Bezos on the verge of making a bid for the Washington Commanders? Teddy Scheifler thinks so. Teddy Scheifler writes for Puck News. Uh, Teddy Scheifler covers Silicon Valley billionaires. We referenced Teddy's reporting earlier this week as it relates to Bezos kind of lurking uh, as a potential 11th hour bidder and maybe a winning bidder uh, for the franchise. Teddy Scheifler will be my guest in the next segment. We'll find out everything he knows about Jeff Bezos. Also on the show today, Mike Greenberg. Uh, Greeny is going to be on the show he was on the radio show with me Uh, this morning. I recorded the interview actually with him last night, and so I'm going to play a lot of that back uh, for you. Uh, It was a fun conversation with Mike Greenberg, who's really been through everything uh, in the business. Look, he was the co-host with Mike Golick on the Mike and Mike show, which ran for years on the station that I am on, 980, Uh, and then he moved to get up several years ago, Um, but I had a chance to reach out to Mike to ask him uh, if if he'd come on the show because he's got a book out that actually is a very interesting book. And we talked a lot about that. Um, And he said, yes. So you're going to hear a lot of that interview with Mike Greenberg coming up in the final segment of the show today. I wanted to start with two things. The first is this. Many of you sent me this tweet. Um, The tweet is from a Twitter uh, account called at NFL Notify. Uh, it's got six thousand two hundred plus followers. I don't know anything about this Twitter account. Uh, it would appear as if they've got some NFL news here and there, but I don't know. I'm not. You know, I did not do an auditing of all of their stories to see. You know, if this is just kind of a rumor site, um, or if it's you know a site that's actually gotten some news. Um, But so many of you sent me a link to this particular tweet, which I'm going to read in a moment. A tweet that had, you know, hundreds of responses, hundreds of retweets, and like over 1,500 likes. Uh, The tweet read as follows. Multiple parties who are bidding on the commander's ownership have a desire to change the team name. One group in particular is committed to the Washington Red Wolves name, per a source. So let me just, again, reiterate, I have no idea about this Twitter account. I don't know if this is real, if it's made up to try to draw some response and some new followers or not. But so many of you sent this to me, and whether it's true or not, I do believe that anybody that buys this team um, is going to consider, I don't know about desire, but consider the current team's name, and whether or not it should be changed. You know, I've I've mentioned this many times. Buying this team right now is different than what would have been involved if you had bought the team a few years back. If you had bought the Washington Redskins, you were buying a brand. You were buying an NFL team in a lucrative market, but you were also buying an 88-year-old brand. Buying the Washington Football Commanders now, you're just buying an NFL team in a lucrative market. You're not buying anything that's brand worthy, anything that's built up any sort of brand equity. The rollout of the February 2, 2022 name and associated branding was an absolute embarrassing flop. And the the percentage of people and I've certainly not pulled this, that would desire a change of name is majority. It's higher than 50%. I don't need to, to, to put a poll out there to know that everybody would, or a significant percentage of people interested in this team would desire a change in team name. Now, I don't know if it's doable per NFL rules or not. I don't. Um, But again, there's no value in the acquisition of this team in any sort of built-up brand with the name or the uniforms or anything sort of associated with the name. So I think at the very least, any new owner is going to say, let's look into this. Let's see if there's any value in this or, more importantly, if there's value in shelving it and coming up with something new. Now, I don't like Red Wolves. I've mentioned that in the past. I think it sounds like a CYO 6th grade you know, basketball team name. But I know many people out there do like that name. I like it more than the Commanders now. I didn't uh, back then. I didn't like either team name. My preference, as I've said all along, is to focus on Washington as the brand. Washington mm-hmm. FC, FC Washington, uh, the Washington football team. I think Washington... And leaving the um, brand as Washington makes—I can only speak for myself. It makes me feel uh, like I lost. Le- I lost less of the team that was, you know, the team that I rooted for for a lifetime. Two two twenty-two was the landing of an expansion team from my perspective, and I feel distant from the name and the uniforms and all of the branding. Uh and I understand that a lot of people are coming back and I understand the excitement and I think I f- I will feel differently when Snyder finally goes. But I'd really feel differently if we got back to just Washington and I didn't feel like I was watching something that, you know, for a long period of time um looked different and sounded different. Washington would be my preference. Uh, and certainly you're not bringing the Redskins back. That horse has left the barn. That toothpaste is out of the toothpaste holder. You're not putting it back in. Okay, no new owner is going to you know investigate the possibility of bringing the old name back and creating controversy because there would be controversy, even though there would be a lot of people that would be so in favor of it. But I don't want a name at this point. I want Washington. I want the old uniforms back. I don't mind the W as a logo. And everybody could have their own nickname like soccer fans do. And my nickname would be the Skins or the Hogs or whatever. Um, but at least I would look out there and see, hopefully, our championship uniforms and focus on Washington. So I don't have to look out there for a big game two years from now and see on a full Chiron Commanders versus Cowboys. That was, for me, and I think many of you, kind of uncomfortable. And made me feel even more distant than I had already started to feel as it uh, related to the team. One more thing before we get to Teddy Scheifler. Billy Hahn passed away. Billy Hahn played basketball for Maryland in the early to mid 1970s for Lefty Drizell. Billy Hahn was a part of the greatest college basketball game, or certainly one of the two or three greatest college basketball games of all time, the 1974 ACC Final lost by Maryland in overtime against NC State, 103-100. to That was the game that changed the NCAA tournament rules where they allowed more than one team per conference because Maryland is the second or third best team in the country, losing that game to NC State, the eventual uh, NCAA tournament champion. They beat UCLA in the semis and then Marquette, uh, Marquette in the finals. Um, but Maryland couldn't even go to the tournament. And they they called that the Maryland rule, and it was the beginning of what became March Madness with you know more than one team per conference, and it became more than the tournament that UCLA pretty much won every year. But a lot of you really remember Billy Hahn as Gary Williams' chief lieutenant during the stretch of years where Gary was building up Maryland after it, it had been torn down – by ugly and I think, over the top probation uh, in the early 90s. Gary took over in 1989, hired Billy uh, Hahn, hired Jimmy Patzos. Um, and Billy Hahn was with Gary through 2001 through the final four season. and then he took a job, a head coaching job with with uh, LaSalle. Um, Billy Hahn, though, um, came back after his LaSalle years and had 11 years as Bob Huggins chief assistant at West Virginia. Bobby, uh, Billy Hahn was loved by everybody. And maybe the most memorable Billy Hahn moment was when Gary Williams was sick. He was in the hospital with pneumonia and Maryland was playing a big game in 1995 against Duke late in the season at Cameron Indoor and coach Krzyzewski wasn't coaching for Duke. In fact, the guy that was coaching for Duke was Pete Gaudet, And so it was a matchup of Maryland without Gary Williams against Duke without Mike Krzyzewski. The game came in March of 1995. Uh, Joe Smith went for 40 points and tipped in the game-winning shot, and Billy Hahn got carried off the court at Cameron Indoor by the Maryland players. Uh, it, that was... Quite the moment, quite the win, quite the performance, by the way, by Joe Smith. And Maryland went into that tournament in 1995 as a two-seed, ended up losing to UConn in the Sweet 16 uh, that year. But Billy Hahn had one hell of a coaching career. As an assistant primarily, um, he was a head coach at Ohio University in the mid-'80s and then uh, a head coach at LaSalle in the early 2000s. Uh, and I saw many people tweeting out Jimmy Patzos tweeted out uh, today sad heart today as we lost our dear friend coach Billy Hahn taught me so much about the business of men's college basketball and what it meant to be a part of the Maryland basketball family love you dog. Uh, that was from our good friend Jimmy Patzos, who coached years at Maryland with Billy Hahn uh, Billy Hahn. Uh, 69 years old, way too young, uh, sad um, news, apparently one fun guy uh, to hang around. I know uh, a lot of people in the Maryland basketball family and in the West Virginia basketball family will be very saddened by this news. All right, up next, Teddy Scheifler uh, will jump on with us and tell us how close he thinks Jeff Bezos is at making a bid For the Washington Commanders. We'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
1: All right, jumping on with us right now uh, is Teddy Scheifler. Teddy writes for Puck News. You can follow Teddy on Twitter at Teddy, S-C-H-L-E-I-F-E-R. Teddy covers Silicon Valley, covers Silicon Valley billionaires, and there are plenty of those out in Northern California, Um, and their impact on the world. And the reason we're having Teddy on the show is because he has been active here recently in reporting on the potential of Jeff Bezos uh, still being the potential acquirer of the Washington Commanders. So that's why we're having Teddy on. Teddy's nice enough to give us some time. I, I want to start with just, you know, you ex- sort of expanding on what you do and how you sort of came about writing and. Um, you know, looking into the Washington Commander sale because I know sports and sports business isn't necessarily the thing you focus on with Puck News. Right.
2: Sure. So uh, you know, Puck is an outlet that basically covers uh, high society. I guess you can think about you know uh, the elite, the elite conversation in politics and business um, in media, um, and in for me, it's it's in tech. Um, so I cover you know, wealthy people and what they're doing in the world. So, um, I've, I've covered Bezos for a while, um, and have a sense of, of how he does things and his operation. And, you know, if this was a, uh, you know, uh, an acquisition that was being done by Josh Harris or by Steve Papalopoulos, like would not really be of, of, uh, concern or interest to me, at least as, you know, or only be of interest to me as, as as an NFL fan. Um, but Bezos obviously has been encircling this since uh, November, and um, you know it's a real business story, right? I mean, it's a story about uh, a guy who is trying to acquire a company, just like you know Amazon acquiring Whole Foods. Um, but what's fun to me um, about acquisitions by you know billionaires of sports teams is like it's one of the few things that you know you can't just buy. Um, you know, these guys are so rich to getting so rich and so used to getting. Everything they want very easily. Um, uh, You know, there's uh, a supply limit here, right? There's only 32 of these teams. uh, This is true in every league: football, baseball, basketball, hockey. That's why we're seeing lots of rich people now go into buying like Formula One racing teams or, or, you know, pickleball, pickleball leagues. Like, (laughs) there's there's, there's, there's only so many things they can, uh, so many sports teams they can buy. So, I'm interested in this because the business story.
1: The NFL is, you know, the the vanity purchase among sports franchises, right? Owning an NFL team. Nothing comes close to that. Or I guess yeah. I guess Formula One would, um, sort of internationally, or or not, owning not a big team. No. <laughs> n- not pickleball, even though pickleball is a great game, drives some people nuts, drives tennis players nuts. Uh, but that's <laughs> another story. Um Did you report extensively, I I understand Walmart is retail, it's not high tech, um, but did you report uh, at all on the Walton Penner Group acquiring Denver or, you know, a a hedge fund guy like Tepper acquiring the Panthers?
2: No, no, I didn't. And and that's, you know, I'm coming to this uh, as, you know, a Bezos criminologist, you know, the guy's interested in Jeff specifically, and, you know, this phase of his life, you know, where he is out of Amazon and pivoting to philanthropy and to politics and sports and to, you know, kind of being this tabloid sensation. To me, this is interesting is Jeff Bezos, you know. I mean, I follow the Tepper and, and Walton purchases just because, you know, I love I love football, but um, uh, I'm going I'm, to I'm, I'm, think of me as a Bezos guy.
1: Teddy, are you where, where are you based out of? Are you local?
2: Yeah, I now live in D.C., um, um, but I've been in San Francisco for the last seven years.
1: Um, covering covering tech. So got it. Um, all right, so let's talk about Bezos. How far away from or how close is he to you know making an offer to buy Washington?
2: So I think he is definitely uh, interested and is continuing to kick the tires. Um, you know, I, I report in my story at Puck that you know Jeff has long told friends that he wants to own an NFL team. Um, Now, I say, you know, indefinite article there. Um, I don't know if it's this NFL team. Like, he is, you know, someone who, uh, is kind of hanging around the hoop here, right? He has not removed himself from the process. He has kept the lines of communication open with Snyder's people. Um, you know, he has signed an NBA to not talk about it publicly. He hired Allen and Co., which are the, you know, investment bankers, to, to kick the tires more formally. Um, you don't do those things if you're like not interested in this team. Um, now it's unclear whether or not he's going to put down kind of a, you know, conversation-ending bid in a way that he can. Um, he can put down you know six billion. He could put down six hundred billion, not six hundred, sixty billion, sixteen billion, um, any any amount that um, could could make Dan Snyder, um, uh, you know, end this process real fast. And you know, I can tell you that you know the other bidding groups. Are not under the illusion that just because they are, you know, seem to be in the pole position, they're not under the illusion that that they're, they've won this. I think there's a lot of trepidation about Bezos, a lot of concern that he could still win this thing, even though he is, as you know, engaging in a much more quiet campaign. Right? He's not being—he's not sending Magic Johnson on the Today Show like the Josh Harris group is. He's doing this much more quietly. Um, so. I think I I don't want to say it's close, but I think it is definitely possible that this still ends with a Jeff Bezos owned franchise.
1: I guess on one hand, you know as you were talking, I was thinking if he wasn't still interested, given all of the reporting around it, I don't know, maybe he isn't even paying attention, somebody close to him is probably paying attention that maybe there would be some sort of statement that he'd come out and say definitively I'm not buying Washington because him hanging around at least perception wise is probably only helping Dan Snyder.
2: Definitely. Right. If you, if, if you, if you think that, you know, Jeff has no interest maybe in helping Dan. I mean, look, um, uh, Jeff is obviously paying attention. You know, th- there was an interview he did with CNN, uh, in, in November where he was asked he was interested in owning the commanders. and He basically said, wink and nod. Yes. Right. Like, there's no reason to do that. Um, I mean, him putting out a statement. There's no reason to do that if he's not interested. Let me say that. I mean, I don't know if the, if the bar for him to put out a formal statement saying like I'm not interested in the Commanders. Uh, I don't know if that's necessary. I mean, he, uh, you know, I guess he, he could like tweet something, right? <laughs> he, he could, you know, I mean, he, he, he does he does have time on his hands now.
3: Um,
2: but I think the reason he's not doing it is because he's genuinely interested. And you know, in in, 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 in MBA schools. Uh, language like business school language, you know, people talk about optionality, right? The idea that you want to have the ability to do something even if you do not actually plan on doing it. And I think Bezos right now is preserving his optionality. He is around the deal. He's not submitted a formal bid, but Dan Snyder knows how to reach him. Jeff knows how to reach Dan Snyder, and um, you know he's watching the press and he's watching um, the the prices and He's preserving the option to make a bid, um, and it just so happens, though, that he also has the option to make a bid that ends this deal, you know, pretty quickly. So, so that's why this can go from zero to one hundred really fast. It can go from Jeff Bezos has not submitted a bid to Jeff Bezos owns the franchise very quickly, in a way that is not true for the other bidders. So, um, he's obviously approaching this very unconventionally. Like, I feel like lots of these, you know, franchise sale processes. Kind of all look the same, right? Whether it's the Waltons or the Teppers or frankly MLB, NBA, they all kind of have the same feel to them. Um, Jeff doesn't need to play by that uh, play by that playbook just because he has so much more money than you know anybody in, in
1: human history. Right, but understanding that, and that's obvious. Like he could certainly make a bid that, in a normal situation, would be you know a, an end of conversation. Jeff Bezos now owns that company or that business. But it has to be accepted by the seller. And we had early reporting that Bezos was excluded from the process and that Dan's long-running, you know, Um, very confrontational relationship with the Washington Post was a big part of that. And then here recently, and my belief is, and I want you to share yours, is that he didn't get the kind of number that he thought he might get from whether it was Harris or anybody else that would jump in. And now all of a sudden, Bezos is the one that can get him his number. But do you feel right now that Dan is in a position or is willing to accept that killer you know, slam the door shut on everybody else' bid from Bezos.
2: So I was talking about optionality with Bezos. Think about this from Dan's perspective. Like he's also maintaining optionality, right? He's he's keeping the ability to sell to Jeff. Like why wouldn't you? You know, um, like I understand. You know, he obviously has a grudge against the paper, and I'm sure that Dan intellectually understands that Jeff Bezos is not sitting at you know the computer in a musty newsroom, you know, typing out. Pieces on the commander. Of I think, you know dance Snyder understands that. But 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 there is there is an element of you know he wants to maintain the ability to sell to Bezos. You know if the Harris bids don't come in um, at you know the seven billion or eight billion dollar figure. Like I'll, I'll say though that like the reporting around um, Snyder like excluding Jeff from the process like some of the, I think in aggregate, some of the journalism around that was like certainly confusing or contradictory. Like there was some reporting that that was true. There was some other reporting that that wasn't true. Um, I don't know for sure about whether or not he was actually excluded. I mean, I mentioned my story that, you know, Dan and Jeff have talked recently, uh, one-on-one or at least, uh, you know, they've had a personal conversation about these things. Um, that was like late last year. So it was you know, it was a while ago at this point, but, um, you know, I, I don't get the sense that the, the, the door has ever been shut fully. Um, so, would Snyder, in my, in my estimation, probably prefer to sell to Josh Harris, all the things being equal, or you know, Steve Pavlakis? Like, yes, but you know, it comes down to the money, right? And Snyder is not dumb. And you know, if, if there's a bid for six from other people that are not Jeff Bezos, and there's a bid from six five, like, you know, people talk about the Jeff Bezos tax here, right? Like. You know, that extra $500 million, are you really going to turn that down just because you're mad about a story? Um, I don't know. That, that seems to go against human nature.
1: It does go against human nature, but those of us that have followed um, the Snyder organization <laughs> yeah. for two-plus decades understand that, you know, impulsivity, pettiness have kind of gotten in the way of optionality as you describe it like it, yeah. it, 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 he's not been the greatest of deal makers his organization has been fleeced one time after another over the years and the pettiness has been a part of that you know at times so that's what made that early reporting so believable I think for so right, many of right. us
2: sure it's like it's like even if it's not a hundred percent true like it it's it's true enough that uh there, there's a feeling like it's probably you know there, it's in the it's in the it's in the right uh ballpark of truth um just knowing knowing the
1: personality so there there's a couple of other things I want to get to with you but just right sure. now net it out where do you think we are because you know a lot of us that have had um some sources on this uh on this potential deal whether it's from the bank or whether it's from the bidder or whether it's from the seller you know have all gotten information in recent weeks that this is imminent with josh harris and that the harris group is sitting there you know they've submitted their bid and they're expecting that snyder would accept uh, accept it you know in in short order it hasn't happened so where do you think we are on this right now today
2: and isn't that suspicious, right? I mean, like, you know, if Snyder wants to sell this right now, Josh Harris, he's got, you know, a fair bid on the table from someone who's not controversial, not going to, you know, upset the media deals element of this, you know. Um, so I think I, I do not think we are close. Um, and, you know, I'm sure they'll announce it tomorrow. I'll look like an idiot. But, like, I think if Dan wanted to sell Josh Harris for $6 billion, like, this would have happened you know, a couple weeks ago, right? Um, um, It seems like it's being slow-played, doesn't it? Yeah. And, like, so much so so that, like, I don't know, I I sometimes hear chatter, and and I wonder if you hear this, like, some people, like, speculate, like, maybe Snyder's not going to sell at all, right? That, 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 you know, the the pressure on him seems to have gone down since he put out that, you know, famous two-sentence statement in November when he never committed to selling the team, technically. He committed to what? Considering potential transactions or something, boilerplate, Um, um, I I, I feel that, you know, the Harris bid, while it's obviously, you know, a strong bid, checks all the boxes, yada, 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 um, it is uh, certainly conspicuous that it has not been accepted, um, or this has not been moving any any faster. So my my, my, my bet is I think there's a few more scenes to go in this movie.
1: Yeah, I think the possibility of him not selling at this point, I mean, as petty and sometimes completely detached as it's, you know, as he has seemed to have been over the years, this would be. An all-out like the business you you understand how much the business of the Washington football franchise has failed you know compared to other franchises here in recent years I mean lowest attendance lowest capacity of attendance some of the lowest local television ratings some of the lowest ancillary revenue you know beyond the media revenue that gets shared thirty two uh, different yeah. ways if he were to to, to basically. Pull a Lucy and pull the ball away from Charlie Brown. If he thinks the business was bad the last few years, imagine what it will deteriorate to if he actually were to say, "You know, I, I tried. I didn't get the number I wanted, uh, but I found somebody that's going to pay a billion dollars for twenty percent to help me get out of some of the debt I'm in. We're going to do it that way." It just and and not to mention Teddy. For the league, I think they have finally come to realize just how, you know, absolutely, you know, eroded this fan base has become and that the market just isn't a viable NFL market if he's still here. And there are other personal things, too. I don't think his family wants any part of this thing anymore either. I just, I mean, I don't think that the chance of him staying as a majority owner is any more than, like, a tenth of 1%. I, I, I mean, do you get that sense? Is, is there anything that you've learned yeah. related
2: to that? You, you'd have better sourcing on that than I would. I mean, my, my uh, you know, I just think it's indisputably true that the pressure is less than it was in, like, October, November. Um, and so, you know, yeah, sure, you know, people at the, you know, the owner's meetings are still saying, you know, are still suggesting that they're not comfortable with Snyder, but like you know, I mean, I, you know, you, you, you've seen you know PR scandals or PR crises come and go, and I understand the Snyder one, you know, is not like it's not like you know made a mean remark once and then you know had to be quiet for six months and let the you know let the uh, crisis uh, you know boil over. Like the, the, there is this is clearly a broader, more structural issue with with this franchise, but um, I just think the pressure is less than it was. Six months
1: ago, so. I think if you're speaking specific to sort of the other 31 owners and the league commissioner, maybe you're right. I think yep. the pressure, though, from what's Lovely. left of the fan base and what may be part of the fan base without him here, has increased because it, we've been, we now have the expectation that he's going to sell, and that didn't exist back in November. And now it does, and it's almost impossible for him to walk it out or walk it back and then have a legitimate business. Um, But anyway, you said something, and I wanted to – you made just a a small remark related to uh, Bezos and his relationship with the league. Does the Amazon deal with the NFL – is there any reason why we should think that relationship would be an issue or conflict for the league? with him as an owner?
2: I think absolutely. It's a potential conflict. Um, I mean, look, this is not... Um, I think there would certainly have to be, you know, lawyered conversations about how involved Jeff could be in, you know, approving media deals. Um, you know, it's not just Amazon, which, you know, of course, you know, has Thursday Night Football, right? I mean, like, who, who knows what the media deal landscape's going to look like? You know, Jeff's 55 years old, like, you know, he could be the owner for 30 years. Like, who knows, you know, what metaverse we're going to be broadcasting uh, right. NFL games on in, two, you know, two thousand and fifty two, fifty three. 53. I mean, um, you know, Apple obviously is very involved or is very interested in getting involved with with, with, with football. You know, to say nothing, of the traditional broadcast partners right now, which are kind of all broadly, you know, competitors to Amazon in some way or another. Um, I think it would absolutely be a conflict um, or a potential conflict. You know, Bezos is not the CEO anymore. He's the executive chair that, that's not like he's you know a passive player in Amazon decision making. You know he's still the largest shareholder, like thirteen percent of the company. Um, you know, and um, to some extent, like you know, I think recusals might not do it justice because the the to recuse yourself from like media deals. I mean, that's like so much of you know NFL teams' revenue, as you're referencing a couple minutes ago. Like this is not you know. The, the owner of a beef jerky company saying he's going to recuse himself from what type of beef jerky you know they're selling it. They're selling it at the stadium. Like this is this is the like this is the entire league's kind of present future and present and future here. So um, you know I, I know some folks around the league who, who, who worry profoundly about this question and like how do you devise a, a recusal scheme that doesn't make like Bezos uh this neutered owner where he basically doesn't do anything <laughs> because if you're accusing yourself from media deals like uh, what what else is left right. um so so um uh, you know and then, and I think for for other owners here look like, the NFL is a good thing going you know um uh the league is doing well financially um if you take the Harris bid or frankly the other bids like you know this is not an issue right um and I understand that every NFL owner wants their team marked up because they want to sell eventually or their heirs want to sell eventually. And so to some extent, you want the highest bidder no matter what, right? You want, you know, Bezos to pay eight rather than Josh Harris to pay six. But if you take the Josh Harris bid at six, you know, you're not upsetting the apple cart here, right? Um, you, you keep on rolling with the gravy train. The, the media deals keep on coming and you don't have to like, you know, it's like, why, why, why add this extra complicated factor?
1: Would his wealth be intimidating to the other owners are there any other uh, <laughs> would, would some of that uh you know th- th- i mean they he his wealth dwarfs everybody you know unless we're talking about musk or or buffett or ellison or you know um gates i mean you you cover these people you have the list in front of you i'm sure or in your mind yeah, but, I'm
2: tra- I'm tra- but i'm trying to think who the current i'm trying to think with the current richest that owner is well it's, uh, it's got to
1: be the walton penner group now right
2: oh yeah sure the, the, the Walton family is, like, you know, divided a bit in a bajillion different ways. But, yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, do you think that there are owners that would say, I don't want a guy that's going to come in here. And, by the way, there's no salary cap for coaches. There's no salary cap for front office executives. And who's to say that he won't come in and say, no, I'm going to pay the best coach in the league that's available $10 million more a year than, you know. My closest competitor. I mean, he can do the same thing in in bidding for coaches and front office executives as he might be doing in the you know in in, in the process of purchasing the team right now.
2: That's an interesting point. I thought about that right because I've heard I've heard other people say you know point out obviously that you know with the seller cap for players it sort of is, an, is a democratizing factor, but right. for coaches, a good point. Um, um, yeah, look, I mean, I, I think Bezos entering the, the league would certainly create like a spectacle. Um, you know, can you imagine like owner's meetings, you know? <laughs> like, because right now the highest profile owners are what, probably Jerry Jones and Kraft and yeah. I guess Snyder to some extent. Um, uh, so like, you know, I think it would create a circus like atmosphere. I mean, you know, Bezos is like, he's not like a soup he's sort of become this like tabloid sensation over the last five years, you know, partially because of his, his partner. And you know, he is this, you know, uproarious, you know, sort of famous laugh um, uh, that makes him uh, a high-profile guy. Um, but I don't think he would like necessarily welcome the attention um, that would come from this. And and for the other owners, like you know, uh, you know, I, I know there's some owners I know for sure that do not like him, um, uh, and you know, would rather have you know someone like Josh Harris, who's you know not going to create this kind of circus. Um, you know, Josh obviously currently owns other teams and other leagues. Um, so, um, but look, I mean, rich guys are, are egotistical and, um, you know, I, I do think you're, you're onto something when you point out that, you know, inviting, you know, the only other person that makes them feel poor, uh, <laughs> into, into their exclusive club, uh, definitely will, will play some mind games for some of these.
1: Do you have, daughters. do you have a hunch on what kind of owner he would be and maybe the easiest way to... Ask for an answer is to say super hands on or super hands off. So he's, I think he'd actually be
2: pretty hands off. Um, um, I say that. Look, I mean, I mean, Bezos has other parts of his empire that I think you can think of as comparable, right? I mean, like the post. You know, he bought for what two hundred fifty million bucks a, a decade ago. You know, he installed the publisher Fred Ryan, who um, you know runs it day to day. Um, Bezos has, you know, in his philanthropic entities, you know, folks who run these things day to day. You know, Jeff is sort of like a sort of a citizen of the world now, right? You know, you see him popping up in like, you know, Sicily and in the Vatican and, you know, sometimes in L.A. Like, he's not even in Washington on, at spaceships. All day. on spaceships, right? in outer space. I mean, he's got, he's got Blue Origin. He's got The Post. He's got Amazon, which he's still involved with. Um, you know, I do not think he'd be, you know, I'm sure he would go to games and I'm sure he would, you know, be talking with whoever he installs as sort of his executive team what, weekly? I mean, that seems reasonable, but I do not think he would be involved in it.
1: Do you think um, Do you think Washington would be a better purchase for him, or Seattle?
2: I mean, I think Seattle would be um, well, well, actually, I have two thoughts on that. A, um, he'd be more excited about Seattle he, you know, lives there basically um, uh you know, though it's unclear, you know, people suspect that given kind of the trust rules around, I'm not an expert on it, but people suspect that, right, given the, the, the rules around Jody Allen's um, holdings, you know, after her brother's death, that, like, she would be a seller theoretically down the line, though that's not 100% confirmed. Um, so, you know, I think you'd rather own the Seahawks. That being said, and, and you know, you'd have a great vantage point on this. Like, I feel like every owner or every person who buys the commanders, potential owner, is just walking into a like honeymoon scenario here. That it's got to be—it's almost
1: too. No easy, doubt. You know? No doubt.
2: Um, like, yeah. Like, if if, if, if uh, anybody you know buys this team and you know, they you know they they successfully you know uh, go like a month without a scandal, you know, <laughs> like they're going to be greeted as as liberators. Um, So uh, I know Bezos is smart enough to know that. And look, this is a guy who cares about his image. You know, he has gone uh, from being sort of, I think, a pretty celebrated figure. And people still like Amazon overall. But, you know, Jeff now has all these kind of critics on the left, you know, who see him as this kind of avatar of American capitalism. You know, obviously, Amazon has gotten lots of negative publicity surrounding its treatment of workers, um, yada, yada, yada. So... I think this is a pretty easy PR win for Jeff yeah. um, if, he, if, he, if he buys the Commanders and does not screw it up fantastically.
1: It's funny because I was um, commenting, I guess last week or the week before – I I just guessed when the Magic Johnson news came out on the Harris bid, right after Mitch Rails um, came out, and then it was Magic. I just said they're doing what you know um, in typical big acquisitions, high profile acquisitions. You do you you kind of put all the you know the pushback possibilities on hold by kind of announcing, and I guess that the next announcement would be like a major female limited partner, you know, like a Sheila Johnson or somebody like that, Um, but the. But the point, like as I was saying it, I was like, look, you don't even need that in this. Because this entire market will be so thrilled that Dan is gone that literally like the zombie of Lee Harvey Oswald could buy buy this thing and and everybody would be fine with it. Um, That was distasteful. But whatever. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Oh, I know what I wanted to ask you. So oh, yeah. so you know you understand this stuff you know a lot of the conversation has been about, you know, the financials. Like, this team is not worth, you know, $6 billion. I've had many people tell me, including some people who have seen the prospectus, it's like this team's lost 25% plus of its net profit over the last five years. Um, you know, $4.65 billion was what was paid for Denver, and they had a stadium, and they have a fan base, and you're acquiring a team that doesn't have a stadium, needs one, and has lost two-thirds of its fan base, you know, under this owner. So you've got to be in the customer acquisition business, Um, although I think a lot of people will come back just on Dan being gone. But do you think it's possible that we have reached the top, that the increase in valuation of of NFL franchises isn't going to grow exponentially anymore after this sale?
2: I don't. I mean, I think, look, I mean, the the, the way that – um, I mean, this is really a big-picture question about kind of the, the future uh, of streaming to some extent. Um, look, I mean, the, there's so much more competition right now for these deals. I mean, like, the few, obviously, like, you know, linear television um, is, is a dying breed. And, you know, uh, to some extent, answering this question requires us to, like, think about I mean, I was joking a couple minutes ago about the metaverse. But, like, to some extent, like, it requires, you know, rethinking, like, what does pricing look like for, you know, uh, Sunday night, you know, football, right? Or you know, or you know, anything from, uh, you know, NBA league pass, right? You have to understand, you know, are these things mean more valuable as as linear television dies or, or less valuable? Um, there there are a lot of uh, tech companies that right that are encroaching into media. Amazon, of course, Apple. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what YouTube YouTube does here. Um, and you know the in a, in an era when um, a lot of assets are, are subject to, you know, inflationary risk. Like sports franchises, feel like one of the few things that kind of keep on going up to the right. Like, I mean, the fact that Snyder bought this for seven hundred fifty million bucks, right? Is that right? Eight
1: hundred million. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and he's going to sell this, you know, for, uh, you know, almost a thousand percent on top of that, you know, twenty years later, um, is an incredible financial return. And and um, I feel like. I don't think we're at the top unless the, you know, the league really starts um, suffering due to, you know, media deals that start going south. But um, these things get locked. These rights obviously get locked up for a long time, too. Um, I do not think we're at the top. You know, I think, you know, when the Seahawks get sold, um, you know, each one, of these, each one of these deals reprices the market, right? Because it's so illiquid. There's only 32 of these teams. Yeah. How often is a team sold? Every few years. Um, we got a run of a couple in a row, but, um, you know, I, I think if this sells for six, like, you know, the Seahawks could sell for seven. And then, you know, who knows? The Texans sell for eight, the Cowboys sell for nine, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera and suddenly, you know, suddenly they're talking real money.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess cuz I always felt that way. I felt like, you know, look, this is a you know, this is all about supply, supply demand and there's no supply and there are enough billionaires out there, uh, you know, but we've seen with this purchase that it is hard to make a 6 billion dollar purchase given the NFL's ownership rules. And I guess actually yeah. if if I were um looking at, you know, uh if I were looking at this prospectus and saying you know what? What's the expected ROI? To me, it would be that the rules become less restrictive, and some Saudi mm-hmm. prince decides to pay twelve billion just to own sure. an NFL franchise at some point. That that's probably right. the biggest upside opportunity down the road if the NFL loosens its purchasing rules.
2: Right. For instance, like I, I think. I'm, tell me if I'm wrong. Like the NFL now does not allow like private equity to buy. No
1: private equity. No sovereign money. Right. Ex- right. Exactly.
2: Unlike other leagues, right? right? I mean, um, so, 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 sure. I mean, um, and the part of this has to do with kind of like the clubby atmosphere of like the ownership league, right? Where you don't you don't want like, you know, random LP, limited partners, you no. know, who you never met, you know, owning part of the team. Sure. But sure, like, you know, the fact that, you know, it's a 30% ownership requirement for uh, the majority investor, you know, no PE, right? I mean, if, if, if you start loosening these things and really unleash, you know, really unleash the supply and demand, Uh, you know, these numbers could start going, getting even crazier.
1: So, Um, Last one, actually. Uh, Sure. Who is the richest owner in team sports? Is it Ballmer? I think
2: it is. I was was, was thinking about that. I mean, you mentioned Larry Ellison a couple minutes ago. I mean, Ellison's always tried to own a team, Um, you know, mostly in basketball. He's tried to buy the Clippers, tried to buy, uh, you know, there was some chatter about him trying to buy the Suns um, in the – those on my but balmer is um, you know Ballmer's up there i mean Lorraine powell jobs uh, is a part uh, part owner of, of of the wizards yes um, right true um, uh, yeah i think i i mean right i'm now. i'm
1: just thinking like you know the zuckerbergs and no. um, you know the google guys Bryn and and um um page like they don't own, own sports teams, so you know just because you're worth you know fifty billion plus or whatever the numbers are, you got to have some interest in sports. But it's just totally. seems yeah. Go ahead. Sorry.
2: I, I was just saying. Ball Ballmer is like is like the great example of that, right? Like Balmer is having you know the time of his life, you know, courtside at games, and you know, right. I once I once was yeah, at I once an event goofy. with Ballmer. Yeah, I wasn't. I was once at, at a speaking event with Ballmer, and he you know, you know the the. Uh, the the consensus when when Ballmer bought the team was that, you know, he overpaid, right? You know, one idiot rich guy really wants to get into the NBA, you know, buys the Clippers, kind of a similar situation, scandalized owner. Um, um, And like, I was once at a conference where Ballmer was saying, you know, everyone says I overpaid, but like, compared to the amount of fun I'm having, I actually underpaid. (laughs) So, so, so like, you know, I think you really have to want to do this. Um, And look, there's lots of different ways to be an owner. You could, you can, you know, never show up at games. And obviously, you know, the NFL is just, you know, 16 or 17 games, you know, a few, you know, sure. half of those are even home games. So you can be absentee if you want. But I think the reason to do this is because you want to be in it, right? I mean, that's that's the fun of it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, Bezos and Balmer could, uh, you know, Balmer could be a good model for Bezos, right? Where, Actually, Ballmer's pretty involved in the Clippers. I mean, he's like showing up at press conferences with Paul George and Kawhi
1: and stuff. But, yeah, uh, it's weird. It's weird though with Ballmer. This like he could have any seat in the building, and he sits behind the basket. Like I, it's the to me that's the worst seat in the joint. Like Cuban, uh, Cuban. You know, you know it's interesting, and I don't know how much you yeah. follow this, but there's only one. I think maybe two. Mark Cuban does not sit on his team's bench. You know, he gets accused of that, but he's usually one yeah, to two like, rows behind the bench. It. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Ted Leonsis sits on his uh-huh. NBA team's bench. He is the first seat when the bench ends, like next to the head coach. I and in, in this market, look, every owner in town gets a free pass because they're compared to Snyder. So, yeah. um, but it's interesting. But yeah, Balmer, uh, you know, he's he is certainly a goofy fan, um, and he doesn't give himself the best seat in the house. But anyway, all right, one last one for uh, Teddy Schleifer, who's nice enough to join us here for. Um, more than enough time, and I appreciate that. But what's your prediction? Like, who, price, and when?
2: So I'll make it spicy. I'm going to predict Bezos takes it. I think. I think. You know. I think he uh, is monitoring the process. Um, uh, you know. I think it'll be, you know, somewhere between six and seven. And uh, the when I'll, I'll, I'll say it'll take longer than we think. Like I know there's now chatter like buy the draft. I mean that seems that seems unlikely to me you know, I think sometime in May. Um, and yeah, so six, six to seven, you know, taken by the guy out of Amazon. Um, but, uh, obviously I look forward to being wrong. Um,
1: so. Well, yeah, look, this this has been one of the most incredible like couple of months in terms of the reporting. And, you know, like my yeah. my partner on this podcast for two days a week, Tom Levero, who's a longtime columnist um, with The Washington Times, and he has made the point, he's like, look, you know, for my fellow reporters, the bottom line is they may end up being wrong with their report, but it doesn't mean they were wrong in the moment. You know, right, and, right, right. And, and I think there's been a lot of, of – In this story, and maybe you have a a feel for it as well. But I said to Tommy a few weeks ago, I said it feels like some of the reporting on this is based on things that happened like two weeks ago, and what's happening currently, we actually aren't getting news on.
2: Yeah, that's. I mean, look, I mean, you know, reporting is hard, (laughs) Uh, and you know, trying to get you know people who are not supposed to talk is to talk. You know, it's a uh, first drop of history, right? And, and and to some extent. If you want if you want the full story here, you're gonna have to wait for, you know, like the book or the magazine article in, you know, six months that when like, people feel more liberated to tell the full
1: story, you know. Uh, Great job. Really appreciate the time. Teddy Schleifer uh, writes for uh, Puck News, at Puck News on Twitter, at Teddy Scheifler on Twitter, S-C-H-L-E-I-F-E-R. He covers the world's richest people, including Jeff Bezos, and your perspective was uh, was valuable. I appreciate it. Thanks. You bet. All right, up next, Greeny. Yeah, Mike Greenberg uh, from... Get Up on ESPN and for years, the Mike and Mike show on our radio station, the Team 980. Uh, We'll get to him right after these words from a few of our sponsors.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at bioptimizers.com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.
1: So I had Mike Greenberg, uh, that Mike Greenberg, greenie from ESPN's Get Up, and for years, the co-host of the Mike and Mike radio show uh, on the station that I've been on for years, uh, ESPN 980 and the Team 980, Um, and uh, Greeny's got a book out, and it's actually a really interesting book, and I was watching um, him discuss it on his show earlier this week, so I reached out to see if he had any time to come on and talk about the book, and he did. So I had him on the radio show this morning, and I'm going to play a lot of that back for you right now. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, we talked a little bit uh, about you know, him going from that early morning radio to – Uh, television at a later hour, not that late, but a later hour, uh, talked a little bit about his New York Jets and the Aaron Rodgers situation, and then got into the book as well. So here's that. uh, The entirety of the interview can be heard at theteam980.com, but you're going to get a lot of it right here and a lot of the best of it uh, right here. So this was my conversation with Mike Greenberg, which started with you know, kind of talking to him about for all those years, and he was on early morning radio with Mike Golick for 18 years, doing 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. every day, and I just asked him about how much different it became for him when he didn't have to get up at 3 a.m., but instead started to get up at 5 a.m., and that's where our conversation started. Here it is.
4: Life-changing. I mean, we're so different it's hard to even put it, into words. I, I, my alarm was set for 3.45 for 18 years, and now it's set for about 5 o'clock in the morning. And what I always say is 5 o'clock is early in the morning, and 3.45 is the middle of the night. And um, there is a big difference between getting up early in the morning and getting up in the middle of the night.
1: Yeah, uh, Mike, I actually made the switch here recently, too, from morning drive to kind of the mid-morning to early afternoon time slot. And, you know, nobody's complaining. We're not digging ditches, obviously. But I think one of the issues that probably you had for all of those years as a sports fan was not having the ability always to watch games. Because a lot of the games that you wanted to watch were at night and sometimes late at night.
4: It is one of the hardest parts of the job. When I first started doing The Mornings in, in the very beginning of the year 2000, you know, I said to my, my wife, we didn't even have children yet um, at that time, I said to her, I, I think I have, we have a chance to do something really good here. I think this show could be really good. I think it could be something that turns out really well for our lives. But I am positive that we're going to have to build our life around it. It's going to be a schedule that we're going to have to sort of build our entire world around making it work. And that's exactly what we did. And look, it it turned out to be very much worth it. Now, you're right. No one needs to feel sorry for us. I have the best life of anyone I could ever imagine. But it did mean, you know, making sure I got my sleep at certain times and napping at certain times and seeing this and missing that and catching up on things and and missing out on going to things and all that. It it, it became, for me, very much all-encompassing. And I guess it still is to a degree, but I'm now at this point, I'm so used to it that I don't even really think of it that way anymore. But that's kind of the way I approached it going back 23 years ago or whatever that was now, um, was in order to do this right, it just sort of has to take over your life. And, um, you know, that's that's what we did then. And I suppose to some degree, we still live that way.
1: Mike Greenberg's got a book out called Got Your Number and I saw I watched you guys debate the number 32 the other day, which is why I reached out to have you on and I'm so appreciative of of you making time uh, to talk about the book. But before we get to that. You know, those of us that have listened to you, watched you over the years, know you know the pain you've had to go through being a New York Jet fan. And by the way, here for us, it's been thirty years since the glory days of 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 the Redskins, uh, and it's been you know uh, it's been pretty awful since. But seriously, is this Aaron Rodgers thing going to happen or not?
4: Yes, I think it is. You know, it's funny you say that. I went out to get coffee this morning and my doorman as i walked out the door said to me what the hell is going on with this thing um you know so so the fans here are getting frustrated but what i really believe is going on is that rogers has sent signals to the jets one way or another that they don't need to rush because he's not coming that soon anyway I don't think Rodgers was – it's as though – I don't think that this is a situation where if this trade had been done, he'd be in the building right now, you know, getting to know people and working out with people and and doing whatever he could be doing. I don't think he's showing up here until after the draft anyway. And so I think he has sent messages, you know, whether directly or indirectly to the Jets, don't be in a rush. Take this thing all the way to the draft because when push comes to shove – the Packers are going to want draft picks in this year's draft. And the Jets desperately don't want, and if you're Rodgers, you desperately don't want them to give up their first-round pick, which is the 13th pick in the draft. I just had a Zoom with Mel Kuyper and Lewis Riddick and Booger McFarland and Susie Culber and the entire team that is doing the NFL draft. And as we go through it, I can tell anyone listening right now, if you're interested, the overwhelming projections for this draft are that the first eight, picks, maybe nine, but probably eight are going to be quarterbacks and pass rushers. There's one corner that everybody likes, but he might sneak in there. But outside that, it's going to be quarterbacks and edge rushers. And then there was going to be a run on offensive tackles from nine until like 20. There are going to be maybe six offensive tackles. They get drafted and the Jets, the Jets pick 13. And that's exactly what they need. And if you're Rogers, that's exactly what you want them to take. So, You don't want him, you don't want the Jets trading that pick to Green Bay. You want them taking one of these guys. And so long as they do, then I don't think they will have lost out on anything. So if you're asking me my prediction, I would say I think that the week of the draft, maybe Tuesday, Wednesday, something like that, of that week, the trade will get consummated. If somehow, by some accident, we get past the draft and the deal has not happened, now we really have a problem because now, All the onus is on the Jets to get it done, and the Packers are suddenly the team that is in no rush whatsoever. So I don't expect that. But that is the reason why the Jets can't afford to overplay their hand, because if it gets to that, then they really have a problem.
1: So I think it's going to happen, too. I think most NFL fans think it's going to happen. And what's interesting is I think the Jets and Washington are very similar um, in that they've got excellent defenses. They've got playmakers on offense. They need to improve their offensive line, but they've just been missing – The quarterback, and, you know, before it became apparent that Rodgers was going to get dealt to New York, I mean, I was a big proponent of you give Green Bay whatever it takes. You get Aaron Rodgers here in D.C. We're an actual contender for the first time in 30 years in the NFC. Now, the AFC is different. Um, because it's deeper and it's better, especially at the top. But I would think that you think that with Aaron Rodgers for the first time in a long, long time, you've got a legitimate chance to make the playoffs and win games in the playoffs.
4: Absolutely, if he plays well, and the Jets are really good, I and mean, the Jets, the team that should go out and get Aaron Rodgers, the point you were just making, is a team that is Aaron Rodgers away from having a chance to do something special. And the Jets are that. Their defense is that good. The skill position talent is that good. The offensive line needs a little work, but is not that far if they're healthy from being that good. So I do believe they are Aaron Rodgers away from being a legitimate contender. Could I, at the risk of hijacking your show, ask you a question, which is to say Washington is one of the immediate places I looked at uh, for Lamar Jackson as well. And if you're telling me that they should be going after or should have gone after Rodgers, which I totally understand, can someone explain to me? I mean, I don't think that the words I would rather have Sam Howell than Lamar Jackson have ever been spoken aloud and consecutively in the history of mankind. So I'm having a really hard time understanding why that's one that that seems not even to have been considered i get that this is your show and you should be asking the question no no but it's but but how is how do you explain that
1: well it's it's um it's been interesting just to see so much of the national media say lamar to washington makes so much sense but i think what we know here locally is that they're not spending any money you know they're just this is an ownership change which by the way is the number one story here it'll be It'll be cause for a celebration like this city hasn't had since, you know, the World Series in, in 2019. And you could make the case that it'll be a bigger celebration that when Snyder is finally gone. But the bottom line is, is Dan and Tanya aren't going to put down whatever would be required at signing, you know, in cash for a $200 million guaranteed deal. Um, it, that would have to be a decision made by the new owner and the new owner is not in place yet. So they have, they did extend Duran Payne, um, but a lot of the money that's due into escrow for the guarantee dollars isn't due until they're long gone. There's just, they're, they're not spending money. That's the number one reason. i um, not to mention the fact they actually don't have a ton of cap space and they'd have to cut a ton of players. But to your point, for me and I've talked about this, if there were a way to get Lamar Jackson here in a heartbeat just the way I felt about Aaron Rodgers because immediately now you are a team that can win 11, 12, 13 games and and go deep into the NFC playoffs. You know, uh, Rodgers to me would make Washington a legitimate Super Bowl contender out of the NFC and I think he's going to do that for the Jets. Although he's gotten, you know, I don't know how accountable and how, um, how reliable he is anymore, uh, but he's still great. But, yeah, no, th- that's the easy answer on Lamar Jackson.
4: Well, i glad I asked that, and thank you, because that's something that I will say I did not know. I, I think mistakenly I, from from the relative distance at which I sit, I was thinking Snyder on his way out, if there's anything that he seems to have demonstrated, is that he doesn't mind, not only doesn't mind, but actually seems to enjoy Pissing off all the other owners, and what better way to to leave, you know, with his middle finger extended at all of them than to upend their apple cart by signing this huge guaranteed contract, which he knows all the rest of them so desperately don't want to have to deal with, and then he walks out the door and it isn't his problem. So I, I that that was sort of how I looked at it, but that's um, I'm glad I asked because now you've explained to me no, that I was I- seeing it completely wrong. And so what you say makes
1: sense. Yeah, well, actually, what you described is, you know, it doesn't – it's not nonsensical by any stretch of the imagination, but it's just so much cash out of pocket um, that they're just not in position to do that right now. Um, So there you go. Let's get to your book because I actually – think that this is the kind of book that I would actually love. It's called Got Your Number, The Greatest Sports Legends and the Numbers They Own. You and Paul Hembo um, wrote this book. Tell everybody what the book's about, and then I've got some questions about some of these jersey numbers.
4: Yeah, thank you. So, it started with jersey numbers. It started because a bunch of us were sitting around uh, after the Get Up show one day, and the subject turned to how many Hall of Fame quarterbacks all wore the jersey number 12. So it started with Namath, and then it's Roger Staubach and Terry Bradshaw and Bob Greasy and Ken Stabler and Jim Kelly and soon-to-be Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, and, and that's the conversation. And someone in the room said, yeah, Greeney, they all wore 12, but who owns the number 12? Now, I'll tell you that I've written a few books in my life, but I've never written a sports book, and the reason is I never had what I thought was a good enough idea literally in that moment, it was like a light bulb went off over my head. And and on my drive home that day, I called Hembo, who's been doing my research for 15 years. He's the best in the business. And I said, I have this idea. We decide who owns every number from 1 to 100. You do the research. I'll do the writing. And there's the book. Terrific. So in our first meeting, we sat down and I realized, am I about to do a book about the greatest legends in sports history that doesn't include Muhammad Ali and Billie Jean King and Serena Williams and Tiger Woods and Jack Nichols. That that doesn't make sense. So we realized we needed to come up with creative ways to give numbers to athletes that didn't have jersey numbers. And that was part of the fun. And so we chose every number from one to 100 is now owned by someone or some group of people in sports history. And not all of them are jersey numbers. In fact, I'll give you an example of that. So if if everyone listening to this conversation right now, if I asked you the question, what is the all-time record for most points scored in an NBA game and who holds it? I would guess everyone could say it's Wilt Chamberlain and it's 100. And if I then said to all those same people, okay, and what jersey number did he wear? I bet you almost none of them know that he wore number 13. So in the book, Wilt Chamberlain owns 100, not 13, because that's the number that he's associated with. That's the number that he owns. That's the number that he deserves to have as his until the end of time. So we assigned those numbers from one to a hundred. I wrote up a hundred very short chapters. Each of them are like two or three pages with excellent research from Hembo. I promise no matter how knowledgeable a sports fan you are, that at least once per chapter, so at least a hundred times reading this book, you will come across something that makes you say, wow, I didn't know that. Um, And so the book is a little bit of sports debate and a little bit of sports history And in that regard, hopefully a lot of fun.
1: So who got 13? Marino?
4: So 13 is Dan Marino, yes. And um, that would have been a tough choice. If we didn't have an obvious other option for Chamberlain, that would have been a tough choice. I'll give you another one. That Joe DiMaggio, I think when people think of Joe DiMaggio today, they think of the number 56. Right. They they think of the 56-game hitting streak, which I think is at this point with The way the home run records have been largely discredited, I think that Cal Ripken's consecutive game streak and DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak are the two most beloved and revered records in all of American sports. And so I wanted to give DiMaggio 56. LT. But Lawrence Taylor is 56. (laughs) Yeah, right. And Lawrence Taylor is the greatest defensive player that ever lived. So I gave LT 56, and I gave DiMaggio 5. But if, if, you know, that's my point, is that those were the kind of decisions that I had to make. And every now and again, it meant I had to leave some people out of the book. And that's where the debate part comes in, because you're going to disagree with some of the decisions I made. And and that is part of the beauty of all of this. You know, in sports, we disagree, we debate, we see things differently. and, And I made my choices. We defend them with all of this incredible research, but there are going to be some you're going to say, no way, Greeny, you're full of it. I completely disagree. It should have been this person or that person. And that is that is half the fun of the book.
1: So maybe this is one and the same as far as a question goes, but what was the biggest disagreement um, on a number? Um, and also, and maybe this is the same thing, what was the number that generated the most possible answers?
4: Uh, well, so, so disagreement, you know, I wouldn't say we really disagreed on anything. I mean, at the end of the day, we sat down, we went through all the options. It, it was me making the decision. So th- there wasn't much of that. That said, there were some that were brutal, brutal. Not so much for how many choices they were, but for how close together they were. So let me give you an example. Should the number 21, if this was your book, Kevin... Would it be would 21 be Tim Duncan? Would it be Dion Sanders, or would it be Roberto Clemente?
1: Um, I guess because of the championships, it would probably be Duncan. And I'm trying to think of any other 21s. It's not a. Um... It's not one of the all-time you know great numbers worn by players. I'm trying to think of anybody to come. Like D- Dominique Wilkins comes to mind as a 21 for me, but that's not Tim Duncan. It would be Tim Duncan. I think it would be Duncan.
4: So, again, Tim Duncan, when I put this up for my listeners, they chose Deion Sanders. Uh, but we gave that number to Roberto Clemente, and I will tell you why. Because I think that Duncan, Deion and Clemente were pretty close to equal in terms of the greatness of their careers. Maybe you could argue that Duncan's greatness is slightly higher in his sport than Clemente's in his, but it would be by a a tiny margin. But the contribution that Roberto Clemente made to the game of baseball, I I think you can make a very good argument that he's one of the five most important people in baseball history. He is the grandfather, the godfather of Latin American baseball changed the sport completely and forever with that. He also, and I don't think this is as widely known because it just doesn't get as much attention. Everybody knows that football's humanitarian award is the Walter Payton man of the year award. Baseball's humanitarian award to this day is the Roberto Clemente award because of all that he did for philanthropy and, and up to and including the way he died delivering supplies to uh, uh you know the war-torn uh, people in nicaragua so um because of his the the, the larger than life nature of of him we gave clemeni 21 but those are the kind of decisions we had to make that was one of the hardest and again some may disagree you might say duncan others might say dion and that's fine i can't tell you you're wrong we made the decisions we made, and, and you'll if you read the book, you'll see, and maybe I can change your mind.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think as you, as you were talking, I can see the case for Clemente. I think th- I can see the case for Dion too, because you could make the case that Dion is the greatest cornerback uh, that's ever lived, and I don't think you can say that about Duncan, but Duncan was such a winner. Um uh so that's why I guess my my inclination was first on that the 32 debate that you had the other day. I mean there's so many 32s but it's funny even though I'm the biggest Magic Johnson fan of all time and by the way Magic Johnson may end up becoming part owner of the football team here and I think that would be great. Um but to me it's Jim Brown. He's the, the you know in football, uh, Greeny, it's like there, there's there's no debate about Jim Brown. He is, for every you know generation, people will say he's the greatest football player pound for pound that's ever lived. Um, he's the greatest running back that's ever lived, but he's the greatest football player that's ever lived. It's funny how you get into these football position debates. Jerry Rice and Jim Brown are the two that never get debated. Greatest running back, greatest receiver – Of all time, so to me that was an easy one. It was Jim Brown, but you guys debated that pretty well.
4: Yeah, we the guys on GetUp did a great job. Uh, Buster only made a good case for Sandy Koufax, and Tim Legler made a good case for Magic Johnson. And look, both of those guys are historically great players and larger than life legends. But we did choose Jim Brown in the book, and I agree with you. He is the greatest. You could definitely make the argument that that he is the best football player that ever lived. The numbers are ridiculous. If you extract, he, he remains to this day the only running back to average over 100 yards rushing per game. Right. If he played in 17 game seasons, he would have averaged 1,773 yards per season, and he retired before he turned 30 years old. So. If if he had played the full arc of a career, if he he had played another four or five years, then he probably would have set records that would not have been broken to this day, despite the fact that they played five more games per season now than they did when he played. Remember, he was playing in 12-game seasons, not even 14. So, yes, we did give 32 to Jim Brown, but that's an unbelievable number, largely because of Brown. Because Jim Brown wore 32, so many other running backs did, including O.J. Simpson and Franco Harris. And, and many others. Marcus um, Allen. And, you know, And then yeah. there's Kofax and Magic. Magic. Magic also did not wear, it's worth noting, Magic did not wear that number in college.
3: 33, right? Magic was number right?
4: 33 yeah. at Michigan State, and then when he got to the Lakers, that was Kareem's number, so he did not wear 32 in college, which also factored in for me. Yeah.
1: Uh, The book, uh, it's called Got Your Number, The Greatest Sports Legends and the Numbers They Own. It's available on Disney Books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and more. Uh, Mike Greenberg's book, uh, it sounds like a a really good read because of all of the debates and arguments it'll spark. Best of luck with it and really appreciate you doing this.
4: Well, I appreciate you having me. I hope everybody enjoys it. Reception to this has been far bigger and greater than I imagined. It feels like, you know, people are doing exactly what I hoped, which is debating this in exactly the way that you and I have just been doing and we have been doing on TV and radio. So thanks very much for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: It's my pleasure, Mike. Take care. Thanks again. Thank you. I enjoyed that with Mike Greenberg. uh, And uh, there was a part or two that, uh, if you want to listen to it in its entirety, from the radio interview, just go to theteam980.com or download the Odyssey app. All right, we are done for the day. Uh, Enjoy the weekend. I'll
4: be back on Monday.